0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org.
1: Welcome, everybody. So, I apologize for my voice. I'm getting over that awesome cold that's been going around. I think I'm contagious. I've been have had it for a week and a half. I, keep, I thought today I'd be... It'd be done, but (laughs) it's not. So today's talk is on um, nature of mind. How many of you recognized and rested in your true nature of mind during that meditation? Maybe. (laughs) Whatever that might be, yeah. So, um, so I'm always fascinated with my mind's ability to take my spiritual practice and it wants to use the spiritual practice to make this life better. And um am I am I the only one? It's um it's always fascinating that like every meditation in my mind wants to do this, and when I go on retreat, it wants to do this and and the beautiful part about being in a group and in a sangha is that we notice that we're all the same like we're, we're suffering in the same ways, and coming back from a retreat, well several of our Sangha members uh, went to just got back from Joshua Tree this last week It's a six day retreat and Noticing the 60 plus people, you know, recognizing that in the interviews and the shares and whatnot, we're all suffering in, in the same way. And this in this, this, uh this mind is incessantly wanting a better life. It's like you sit down to meditate and your mind thinks about planning and figure out your life. I'm gonna do this and do that, and then a like retreat is just like this long time so you could figure out your life, you know. Like, so let me just think about how this could be better and how that could be better and and all this stuff. And it's like all it's like it just like year after year, you know, like sit after sit. It gets frustrating after a while because it's meditation spiritual life it's not gonna help your life at all not at all like the external life the life situations will not change it's not gonna make a better life how can it we're in dukkha first noble truth this is the first thing that Buddha said suffering in life And you wanting to do something about that is called suffering. (laughs) You being attached to something different than how life is, that's the definition of suffering. And yet we take our spiritual practice and say, I want my spiritual practice to make a better life. Just actual more suffering. It's like more attachment. Like when we put this spiritual practice and say, I want it to be like this. We're just more attachment. I'm going to meditate so I can get this. More attachment. Now, obviously, the practice makes what's inside of us a whole lot better. And our reaction to the external circumstances, you know, we can find freedom and liberation from all of that. So, does it make our life experience Exponentially better, absolutely. Again, circumstances won't change. Necessarily, they might change a little bit. But again, remember the wisdom of that. Interdependence, impermanence, emptiness. So even if they did harmoniously all come together, of course that's impermanent, interdependent. Yet, when we sit down to meditate, What's the, life, what's the mind want to do? What am I going to do with my life? I've got to figure this out. I get this and that and this and that. It's all going to be better. So that stops us, obviously. That prevents us from realizing that we're already free. That nothing else needs to be put in place for us to be free. It's this interesting, interesting thing that thinking that we're not free and trying to figure out how not to, how to be free, we've missed that we already are. <laughs> and this is why the first Noble Truth was, hey, there's suffering. Because we're actually, we dig the attachment, like we really dig on life, like we really dig on the aspect of like, um, if I get this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be happy, this hopefulness and this grabbing, grasping nature. Like the first thing that Buddha said was pointing out, like, what you actually think is bringing you happiness, that right there, that craving, right there, that's the actual piece that's messing everything up, you know, that right there, that actual craving mind, this mind that reaches out to get, to grab, you know, to pull in, like that actual this thing, it goes out. You notice, like, when the craving mind, you know, like, I need to fix something in my life. It's all outer energy. It's all moving away from self. All moving out. So the first thing is, is to meditate and really know experientially, it's definitely not out there. It's definitely not. Like, it's, (laughs) <laughs> it's definitely not. We have to know it like it's absolutely definitely not. Like It's not like we threw our whole life out and we have to go to the Himalayas and all that stuff. I'm not saying anything like this, of course. <coughs> we're under this, this kind of deep-rooted idea that happiness definitely comes outside of ourselves. So the four thoughts that turn the mind towards Dharma which I always say I would just teach over and over and over again for this this purpose. So if we meditate on the preciousness of this life like how amazing how amazing it is to have this life and what I mean by this life is I mean this opportunity to practice this precious human life with a healthy enough body and mind we've met the Dharma we've, we've met teachers and teachings that have been reproducing enlightened beings like an assembly line for thousands of years we have the motivation we have for right now we're in a country that lets us meditate that lets us practice that's impermanent too for now do you think tibet ever thought tibet that's all they wore, were were buddhism that's all that's it Tibet is, is a country based upon their religion. Do you think Tibet 200 years ago ever thought or even 100 years ago thought we might not ever get to practice we might not be able to practice Buddhism in Tibet? Do you ever think Tibet thought that? It's like in the United States, like us thinking we can't practice Christianity. I mean, that's not even close. I mean, because Tibet was just all about Buddhism. But it's like saying okay, no longer practice Christianity here in the United States. Like, we can't conceive of that. But again, this is just one of many, many, many different factors that we can meditate on and say, oh, look how lucky I am that I get to practice this. And out of all those factors, that, with all those factors coming together, so right now we can come into this room and look at this, we have this amazing space and we have a Sangha. We can come and practice. We don't know how much longer this is going to last because the second thing to contemplate is impermanence. We don't know how much longer we have this amazing, incredible opportunity. We don't know. So we have to experientially realize this, like how lucky we are. How many people have never even heard of inner liberation? They think if I'm not a millionaire or I'm not married I don't have kids I don't have this I don't have that like that's it like no happiness for me billions of people have not even heard of enlightenment like this it's incredibly rare really It's even even way more rare to actually practice (laughs) it's extremely rare I forget the actual I think mean, it's on the Bhagavad Gita, but I was talking about you know, God speaking about how many people, how many actual know me. There's like a few even care to even even listen about me. A few of those practice, and even you know just a tiny percent actually know me. It's so rare. You know, so we then we have this impermanence, so we don't know how long it's going to last. And then we have this third piece, which is karma. And we don't need to get into a big karma discussion, but you know how good it feels to do something good, yeah? After you serve others or do something positive, you know how that feels. Maybe, I don't know, I've never had this experience, but have you ever meditated and then afterwards said, damn, I shouldn't have done that. That was a waste of time. Like, I, haven't, I, haven't, none, I shouldn't have done it. Or, or exercise, you know? Oh, I shouldn't have exercised. That was horrible. But e- even if it was physically horrible, you feel good, right? Like, oh, I did it. You know, I did it. Even if it was challenging. So we have this all these things coming together. We don't know how long. So what are we going to drop into this now? What are we going to do? We know what to do. We know what makes us feel good. Yeah? We know the practice, we know ethics. All those things make us feel good. Yeah? And then the fourth thing to contemplate is this dukkha, the basic unsatisfactory nature of all external existence, saying that, like, like I've been saying the whole time, it's not out there. There's no suitcase of happiness. So then when we contemplate the fourth one, then we go back and say, okay, I just, I have, this is the only really, the only way to sustainable happiness. You know, so all these facts, when everything comes together, then we sit down to meditate, we think about our life. We just think, think, think. <laughs> and then we think. And we do that over and over and over again, and then we're like, oh, how my meditation's not really getting anywhere, but I, I'm saying this to myself, I mean, this is, I've, Done it for so long. This is a subtraction problem. We're talking math here. This is a subtraction problem. This is emptying, not adding. There's nothing, 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 nothing to be added here. Nothing to be added. Even all the knowledge that gets us here will be thrown out. Right? Like the texts say, only a dummy would carry the boat on land once it crosses the river. You know? Only a dummy would carry the boat. So even even the knowledge, they say the Dharma takes us across the lake. You know? The path takes us across the lake and then get out of the boat. <laughs> you know? Walk. So even that, even <laughs> even this is to be thrown out. You know? that's the final liberation is like when you when it's taking you across the shore this is and it's how this looks in in like real time like when we're meditating the meditating you know you focus on the breath breathing in I know I'm breathing in breathing out I know I'm breathing out and you focus on the sensation let's say you're doing breath practice yeah at a certain part of your meditation stop doing breath practice <laughs> the meditation will meditate you It'll meditate you until there's no meditation. It'll meditate you till there's no meditator. I mean that there's no meditation and no meditator, there's no meditator trying to figure out its life, his or her life. <laughs> right? You're resting in just essence and this is this is the removal of all the hindrances. No attachment, no aversion, no agitation, no slothfulness. And the most important one, no doubt. No doubt, no doubt in your own Buddha nature. We move into this in the meditations, being aware of the hindrances. Look at craving mind, look at this. The most crucial one to remember is this doubt when doubt arises. This is the final one we saw the Buddha overcome when he sat down beneath the Bodhi tree and he said, I'm not leaving until I reach enlightenment. It is the removal of doubt. He says, I'm it. I know I can do it. Uh, that's it. When's the last time we sat down to meditate and said, I'm going to reach enlightenment right now? Right now. I'm going to reach enlightenment right now. And if not, When? <laughs> When's it going to happen? Like, when's it going to come together? When are all these conditions? To get, when's it going to happen? If we don't give ourselves the opportunity to be like, it's not going to get any better than this. How can it get any better than this? How can we get better teachings? We have the best teachings. The teachers in Southern California, no matter what you know path you come here from, we have some of the best teachers and teachings in the world. We have the best environment. We're healthy enough. Why does it need to be different than right now. What are we waiting for to come together? A better job? Like when I get a better job, when I have more time. Um what's another good way? <laughs> what's all the excuses that we give ourselves, you know?
0: When I can sleep better. When
1: I can sleep better. That's a good one. After I eat after I binge watch Netflix, I don't have any time to meditate, I log a ton of Netflix hours, you know. Where do people find the time to meditate? After they watch Netflix and they do this and this and this, where do you, where's it coming? I'm going to read some stuff that hopefully doesn't make any sense. <laughs> You know, because we try to, we want to be comfortable, and we want things to make sense. We want all this to make sense, and we want it to be linear, and we want to go from, you know, here, then we want to be here, then we want to get here, right? And we want to feel like we're just walking up the steps to enlightenment right there, you know, and all this stuff, and it'd be comfortable, you know, but where, where we're headed is non-conceptual, it's unfabricated, it's uncontrived, right? We cannot think our way into enlightenment, right? So this is, this is the thing, this is the reason why they have things like Zen koans, the, it's these things that the mind conceptually can't figure out, so it stops trying. And once it stops trying, it realizes something beyond itself. So this is from um, a text. I've read this before, but I think it's been quite some time. This is from the great Longchenpa. who's a Zogchen, mm. Zogchen master they say like having a, this book in particular this text is an actual commentary on the basic space of phenomena which is basic space of phenomena is a relic what they call a relic of the Dharmakaya. The Dharmakaya is the Truth Kaya Dharma means truth. You have Kaya, this is this is of the Truth Kaya they say that having this this book in your home is better than having a whole stupa like a blessed stupa in your home they said if the Dharma could speak this is what it would say and of course all words are false but if it could speak the truth of this this is what it would say which is in this book they act this is a commentary on the book right but it's important to to hear the words you know Joseph Goldstein how many of you know Joseph Goldstein He's really, really famous in the Vipassana schools. He was reading the Dzogchen text when he had his first enlightenment experience. It was just one sentence, actually, from a book just like this, actually, from a text just like this. And he was talking about how everything is arising and it's free upon arising, it's liberated upon arising, they call it. And he just, everything went away. But anyway, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, and it probably won't make sense, and it might make total sense. It doesn't matter. But I want you to just close your eyes, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. And don't think about it. No need to to conceptualize it. Just let the words fall. Right? With no expectation. So he uses the word it says like if it is thought about if there are concepts the it is true nature of mind the it is essence mind this is the it that he's talking about so where we're trying to get to if that's such a thing if it is thought about there are concepts. If it is meditated on, there is ordinary consciousness. If it is described, there are words. If it is looked at, there is dualistic perception. If it is left alone, there is the true nature of phenomena. While if anything is done, there is samsara. If anything occurs, it rises naturally. What remains is consciousness, settled in its own place, open like the sky, joyous and blissfully spacious. It is not so by being made so. It is not seen by being searched for. It is not freedom that is cultivated in meditation. It is not ensured by being sought. It is not freedom that comes from relaxing. It is not ensured by being reified. What remains is bare consciousness in all of its nakedness. The state that is beyond labels and in which phenomena resolve. Nothing stands between samsara and nirvana. The the unobstructed state leaves no trace. In what naturally arises, there's no bias. In natural freedom, there are no phenomena. In the resolution of phenomena, there are no labels. In view and meditation, there is no evaluation. In self-knowing awareness, there is no ordinary mind. In openness, there is no bias. There is no basis for origination or cessation. What remains is naturally lucid, uninterrupted consciousness that is immediate, and without bias. It is free even in arising, empty even in manifesting, and evanescent even in stirring. It is, even as it is, is not, while it is not, even as it is. It is non existent even in being present, while it is nonetheless present, even in being non existent. It stirs even in abiding while it abides even in stirring. What remains is meditative stability as the ongoing flow of natural, seamless consciousness. You may meditate on it as existent, but it is impossible to affirm. You may meditate on it as non-existent, but it is impossible to deny. You may view it as both existent and non-existent, but it is not subject to such extremes. You may think of it as both and neither of these, but it is not subject to such bias. It may manifest as pleasure or pain, but those leave no trace in their wake. It exhibits a pristine quality as a true nature of phenomena, but ordinary consciousness does not ensue. There is uninterrupted freedom, but you do not maintain some fundamentally unconditioned state. What remains is unconstrained and unbiased consciousness that has free reign. Now up your concentration for this part. Let it exist. Let it not exist. Let it manifest let it be empty let it be let it not be let it be good let it be bad let it be realized let it not be realized what remains is a naturally pristine naked state consciousness that is empty and evanescent and all-embracing open dimension, in which no traces remain. (laughs) Ammo. Just sitting for a couple minutes, just let's just sit in free, open awareness. I'm going to ring the bell in a moment, and I want you to just experience this answer. When I ring the bell, I want you to notice. How is it that you recognize the sound of the bell? Does your mind go out and get it? Or does it come into your mind? And exactly where do you hear it? at your own pace allowing your eyes to open so you see Lung Chimpa's text was conceptually trying to get us out of our not trying to get us out he was just explaining the natural state but you notice that in explaining the natural state there's not much to grab onto mentally did you notice that not a lot of ground there not a lot of meat there make sense of thinking mind wise, <coughs> agreed or no? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Whenever you thought there was something to grab onto, he would he would nullify that. He would say it's existent but non-existent. It's like this, but it's like that. So every time that there's trying, you're trying to get a footing mentally. There's no footing there. Yeah. So like Byron Katie says, the the firmest ground that you could stand on. Is emptiness we have it the other way around like we really love to stand on our thoughts and our emotions and body sensations like we feel grounded like this but some, those are impermanent so they're very very ungrounding and we wonder why we have anxiety you know because those are constantly shifting and changing and moving and and going away and so but we try to keep up with them so we, we create more thoughts right we get a busier mind and we try to grab onto them and they slip and grab on and slip yeah if we really want a solid foundation move into your beingness your beingness the knower of those thoughts emotions and body sensations now check in with your awareness check in is your awareness there? yeah did it shift? did it change? No, your awareness is really strong when the thoughts leave you're still here no, we're not our thoughts and emotions and body sensations if we were when those went away we would go away we're not what we build up in our minds because that's constantly disappearing so this is the very basis of non-self, which Buddha said, Like once we get this down, we're not this permanent fixed self. Of course, we're, we are a being, and we're conscious. But there's no permanent fixed self in there. There's no permanent this. And so we don't need to worry about losing anything. If we haven't built anything up, there's nothing to lose. But we impute a self into nothingness, and then when it goes away... Like, I'm a child, I'm a teenager, I'm an adult, I'm a this and that, or our profession, and then when it goes away, we think we lost something, and then we suffer. There's nothing there. Let's get together, and um, maybe just check in to see how that was for you, that uh, meditation that we did.
2: I really appreciated the, uh, you, how you started the, the talk and how you also, it evolved because I find myself often lately so resistant to <coughs> deepening practice, so resistant to renunciation you know it, it causes a lot of my conditioning kicks in where I seek the comfort, where I seek the familiar and the renunciation feels unfair. you know there's this sort of teenager childlike why it's not fair? I want to revert to the the, the 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 conditioning and the practices that feel comfortable. And of course, I know where those the, the, those stories end. But this is why I practice. You know, is what you are affirming, and that's why it's so important for me to listen to teachings and to continually. Because otherwise, I I do want to go back to <coughs> the default setting again, and I forget. So if waking up is is what I'm this, this process then it's it's the distractions are totally these impediments and as easy as it is to fall into those habits it's exactly what is causing the suffering or leading to. Wonderfully
1: put, thank you.
2: That really, thank you because it's like I these are this is why I practice and I do to hear it. I think that doubt really um, plays a role And what you had touched on was saying like you know Buddha said let go of doubt but have no fear. Uh, and I think sometimes within my own practice I fear that. If I let go of the stories, if I let go of the thinking, who will I become, and will people accept me for who that is? And that fear um, runs very deep, and I think that um, being able to say to yourself, like you know, I think I when I'm when I'm in meditation practice, my my. Thing, this is so silly Is I, uh, I'm afraid I'm not going to be funny anymore. <laughs> like, I, uh, I'm afraid if I'm too present or if I'm too, like, how am I going to come up with winning secrets or, um, that'll mm-hmm. make people laugh. Uh, and I, and letting go of that, that's where my, my fear and my doubt reside. So, um, yeah, that just stirred up today.
1: Thank you. And I think eventually the, the worst part is to be nothing. And eventually this is the worst death of all you know this ego not shape-shifting the, mind, the ego doesn't mind shape-shifting but it hates to be annihilated so this is the worst of all and this is will be the final <laughs> get to the point of just being okay not being anything at all that moment of release you know
3: Um, I've been meditating uh, a lot in the past year, I uh, meditate for 43 years, This is the first year that I sat an hour twice a day and then I meditate throughout the day using a mantra. And what I've noticed is I spend a lot more time in the present moment, uh, whereas before I could drive from here to San Diego and not remember the trip because I was thinking about things that happened in the past, or what I need to do when I got there, or whatever, now I spend almost all of my time in the present moment. And if something's, you know, a strong disturbance or something threatening happens, then I ruminate on it for a while, but a lot less than I used to. And maybe (coughs) once every two weeks I'll find that I'm not in the present moment. But I think that's... One of the good things about this practice is that it it helps you to experience your life more. You spend less time daydreaming, you spend less time worrying, less time, you know, not present. And you spend more time relinquishing thoughts when they come up, feelings when they come up, anxiety when it comes up, everything, you let go of everything, and um, it's peaceful.
1: and what you're cultivating is the stability of mind to turn it in on itself so not only are you the stability of mind to experience your external life but now that non-rumination and non grasping mind that you is allowing you to stay present like when you when you meditate and turn it in on itself now it's much more stable and you're so right that continuity of practice that moment-to-moment awareness makes our meditations, like our formal practice meditations, so much better because that continuity of stability grows every day. So, thank you for sharing. Yeah. So, <clears throat> this is sort of
0: an
2: ongoing question I have that I still feel like I have unresolved.
0: So if, so if, okay, they rest in the, the nature, we know that our happiness isn't here, right? But then at the new year, we set intentions, we set conscious
2: intentions, we set guidelines, goals. I mean, I don't like the goals, but the intentions, um, that feels like planning. That feels like intending to create it feels contrary
1: to me. And I don't really know how to reconcile those. Mm-hmm. Relative truth, ultimate truth. Relative truth, ultimate truth. The boat, the water, crossing the water. Relative truth. Mm-hmm. Getting out of the boat, ultimate truth. <coughs> so, we, we set intentions... Knowing the three factors of wisdom that are Im- impermanent, interdependent, and empty of inherent existence from their own side. So if, if you walk into your intentions, your relative intentions, with that wisdom, mm-hmm. we can have extreme resilience because we know the ultimate truth of it. We know the ultimate truth of that goal is, is, is within emptiness.
0: Isn't
1: there still craving in in wanting to create and in <coughs> intending something to manifest or happen? <clears throat> no. Passionate, not attachment. Passion for something is not attached to the outcome of it. Attached to the outcome is not wisdom. Passionate, non-attachment. You know, if the Dalai Lama. You know, the Dalai Lama wants his country back, you know, and and all this stuff, yeah? 600 monasteries crumbled, people killed in his own name, all this stuff. He has got passion to relieve the suffering of his people, you know, and for that matter, all beings. But if he was attached to all of those things, he'd be just nothing, yeah. So passionate, not attachment. Passion's life, so we could turn into nihilism is a great question, fantastic question, because we could turn into nihilism if we just say, you know, pure ultimate truth. This is why these, called ATI yoga teaching, the top teaching, they teach them at the end because you could throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know? You can be like, oh well, nothing matters. Just well, sit there, spiritual bypass everything. Don't look at your emotions. Don't have to be really nice, because good and bad are the same. So what the hell, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> this is why
1: this is at the end. This is at the end of the path. They teach us after you've cultivated, you know, usually decades of loving kindness, and you've done your purification practices and a lot of devotion and all that stuff. And then we drop that this in there, yeah. But we're not in a monastery. We have to teach it, a Sunday sit, <laughs> you know, in a half an hour. You know, this is what we have to do. But you're holding the whole path, you know, like that. And this is why, I'll just kind of end here, we're almost at the end here, but, you know, the motivation for practice, you know, when uh, when Ram Das as a teacher, what's enlightenment? He said, enlightenment is to feed and to serve. That's enlightenment. Enlightenment is wanting to reach enlightenment for the benefit of all beings means, I want all the knowledge in my power so I have the, the best capability to help all beings. That's why we want omniscience, it's because if you're omniscient, you know exactly what that person needs so you can be of, best, of, of the best benefit to that being. That's what we're, that's our intention. And you know, they asked this one Lama, are you enlightened? And he said, um, he says, no, I'm not, I'm not fully enlightened. He says, I could, only, I could only recall right now my last 500 lives and my next 500. I have a pretty good idea. Says, so I have a long way to go. <laughs> but, so this, is, I mean, this has to sit, like these teachings have to sit within that framework of the Bodhisattva vow, you know. Of why are we doing this? And I'm going to read this last little thing from Byron Katie. He, where she This is the Tao Te Ching, and, she, um, and her husband's a writer. And so he just, I think, organically started reading the Tao Te Ching, and she started commentating on it, and he wrote it all down. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. The Tao doesn't take sides. It gives birth to both good and evil. She says, the master can't take sides she's in love with reality and reality includes everything both sides of everything her arms are open to it all she finds everything in herself all crimes all holiness she doesn't see saints as saints or sinners as sinners they're just people who are suffering or not believing their thoughts or not she doesn't see any difference between states of consciousness what's called bliss and what's called ordinary mind are equal One is not a higher state than the other. There's nothing to strive for, nothing to leave behind. There's only one, and not even that. It doesn't matter how you attempt to be disconnected, that's not a possibility. Believing a stressful thought is an attempt to break the connection. That's why it feels so uncomfortable.